free stuff is awesome, but free stuff to liven up your bedroom is even better. Go to adamandeve.com and use the Thousand Movie Project podcast coupon code TMPP to get 50% off of your purchase. Not only that, enter offer code TMPP at checkout and get six free spicy movies. And that's what we're all about here on Thousand Movie Project podcast, cinema. Also, DVDs are just fun. They're vintage now. It's like masturbating to a telegram. Plus, plus, free shipping on the whole thing. Go to adamandeve.com, select the lube, the harness, the dildo of your choice, and enter the offer code TMPP, as in Thousand Movie Project Podcast, for 50% off. And now, on to the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. If you've been listening to the show for a while now, you'll know that I am a devotee of dating apps. Uh, You would also know this if you had ever read anything off of my blog, or if you've ever messaged me on social media, or if you've ever passed me in a grocery store, or administered any kind of medical care. I talk about it a lot. I, I talk at people about online dating. And I do enjoy it quite a bit, but it's also a huge source of stress. And the reason that it's stressful is because I'm approaching it the wrong way, which is to say I'm approaching it obsessively. I'm definitely going into these apps with the intention of getting into a relationship, which is always a dangerous way of approaching these kinds of things, because if you go into online dating with this determination to end up in a relationship, well, that's probably exactly what's going to happen. You're going to end up finding someone with whom you've got almost nothing in common except for the fact that you're both kind of desperate. And so you're going to, you know, you're going to go and you're going to start getting awkward meals together, scrounging for topics of conversation over the meal, and then telling yourself that the date must have gone well because it ended with a kiss. And then maybe you slap your genitals together and, and you meet each other's parents, but it's doomed. And everyone knows that it's doomed, but you just keep roping yourself into it deeper and deeper until you're one of those people in like your mid thirties and you're like, I've got a well-paying job and I've got a significant significant other of so many years. Why am I so miserable? I've done this a couple of times over the past few years. I've I've gotten attached to somebody with whom I had no business being attached simply because they were there and they were in the mood for it. And because it's so nice to have somebody that you can text throughout the day or call whenever, you know, at the end of a work day, somebody you can cook and hang out with, somebody with whom all the different parts of your life can kind of synthesize. There's friendship, conversation, tenderness, sex, comedy, drama. What's convenient about online dating is that prospective partners in your immediate area are just funneled into your pocket for like your leisurely consideration. It's easy, it's non-committal, it's safe, it's destigmatized. And the longer you've done it, the quicker the vetting process becomes. You develop an eye for the kinds of traits that will and won't work for for what you need in a partner. For instance, you might have noticed if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, or if you've read anything from my blog, or if you've passed me in a grocery store, or if you've drawn any of my blood, you will have noticed that I talk a lot. And I like to be with people who talk a lot, people who have stories and ideas and jokes. So one of the small things that I look for in these conversations, for instance, is that If I'm talking to somebody on a dating app and the messages that we're trading back and forth have not turned into like blocky paragraphs within the first couple days, I know that it's probably not going to go anywhere. And more often than not, it doesn't go anywhere, but sometimes it does. And so I wanted to take some time here to to brief you on on a romantic development that reached a kind of familiar turning point uh, this past week. 
I met somebody on Hinge with whom I got along really well. She's a couple years older than me, and she lives nearby. And since Hinge is now advocating video chats instead of, you know, face-to-face -face dating for fear of exacerbating the pandemic, she and I decided, after a few days of messaging, that we should meet up on Zoom, the video conference platform. So she agrees, and I set up a Zoom date with this woman, who we will call Mary. In that first conversation, which came up on the heels of about a week of texting, Mary and I chatted for three hours, and we covered a lot of ground. Mary was talking to me from her very first night in a new apartment. She was telling me a little bit about the moving process, about the headaches of unpacking, shopping for furniture, shopping for plants. She was in a period of transition. There's a new environment, new furniture, uh, a, new a new position at work. Also, this whole quarantine business had just begun. The conversation was very nice. And I noticed right away that we've got, you know, a compatible sense of humor. She's smart. She's attractive. And so I am enthused about this. One of the things that she mentioned in, the, in our first conversation is that her favorite movie is this batshit 1977 Japanese horror comedy called House. And so, wanting a reason to strike up conversation again, I went ahead and I watched House. And it is fucking weird. I loved it, and I think you will too, um, but it's fucking weird. And so I messaged her about it the next day. And so that sparked up a conversation through Instagram. And conversation went well. It was in fact going so well that I finally said, Hey, do you want to hop on to Zoom with me again? And she said, sure, sounds good. And so a few days later, we hop onto Zoom again. And she shows me from her, the camera on her laptop, she shows me the new couch that finally just got delivered, uh, some of the plants that she added to her collection. She shows me how this new apartment is really starting to feel like home. I learned about her family. We traded notes about our parents' respective divorces, uh, how the family dynamics changed after that fact. And then we talked about restaurants in town and we traded stories and trivia. And we discovered that we have a million little scattered weird things in common. Not just, not just like preferences and tastes for things, but also like niche little experiences. And once again, we end up talking for just over three hours. So we get off the video chat, and for the next few days, I'm like, holy shit, I, li I like this person. But for some reason, as natural as all that kind of thinking might be, I was freaked out to even use those words in my head, to even acknowledge that it was happening. Like, it seems fine to think about her. That seems innocent and natural enough. But it sounded creepy to use the actual sentence in my head, I have been thinking about you. And I could just intuit something about our dynamic that it would be weird to to say anything like that to her. Because, you know, sometimes people, you just get a vibe off of people and you can, t especially when it comes to flirting, you, you just get this intuitive thing of like, okay, now's a moment where a compliment would fit. I, I, and, and that hadn't really come up yet. Anyways, my point is you can't really fight those feelings when they happen. What you can do is you can temper your behavior, and you can temper your expectations, and you can act cool on the outside so as to contain whatever zealous adolescent excitement is going on on the inside. And so I'm talking to myself about it, I'm, I'm cooling myself down, and I realize that although Mary is super attentive and engaged whenever we're either texting or talking on Zoom, she also never initiates any kind of contact. So I was like, okay, I need to take this easy because while she certainly appears to be receptive to these conversations, she's not like actively seeking them out. So let me give it a little bit of breathing room. And thus, I decided not to reach out to her for, for a few days. And in those few days of not reaching out to her, but thinking about her, um, I started to notice that there is something off about our conversations. And I can't tell exactly what it is, but I tell myself it, it probably doesn't matter. 
I tell myself that whatever this off element might be, it's probably no big deal. And if it is a big deal, I'll pick up on it later. So anyways, I'm doing the breathing room thing. I'm allowing some time to pass before I invite her to another call. And I remember that during one of those long conversations we had, Mary talked about a podcast that she really likes. It's a true crime miniseries. So I'm thinking, all right, last week after our conversation, I watched her favorite movie. And that worked as a great shoehorn into another conversation. And now I've made this resolution to not talk to her for a few days just to give it some space. Let me spend this week listening to that podcast miniseries. And then when I'm done with it in a few days, I'll reach out and let her know what I thought. Maybe conversation will spark up. All through quarantine, I've been going on evening walks at around 7 p.m. and on until about 8.15 when the sun sets. These walks are when I normally listen to Steve Donahue's daily YouTube videos, but for just this one week, I spent those hour-long walks listening instead to this true crime miniseries, one or two episodes at a time. And while I'm listening to it, I'm enjoying it, and it's, it's fine, I'm totally immersed, but what I find that I'm refusing to acknowledge to myself as I listen to these episodes day after day is that what I'm really hoping is that she will get in touch with me before the end of however many days it's going to take me to consume six hours of podcasts. So I think five days go by, and I finish the whole miniseries, and I'm like, Well, I guess it's time to reach out to her again. And so I send her a text. Hey, Mary, I just listened to all of that true crime podcast you talked about, and I thought it was really good. And it's a success. Conversation happens. It goes here, it goes there. I ask her what she's up to. One thing leads to another, and then I'm asking, Hey, Mary. Do you maybe want to do another video chat this week? And Mary says, sure. And so now we've got another Zoom date set. A few days go by, we hop onto our respective computers, each with a bottle of whiskey in our reserve. And this time, listener, we talked for four hours. Conversation ends, I go out into the living room, I sit down on the sofa beside my roommate, and he says, how'd it go? And I was drunk at this point, so I just gave voice to some of the things that I was trying to not even say to myself over the course of the week. Just just riffing, like, She is so pretty and nice to talk to. I sure hope that she likes me back. At this point, I'm thinking of Mary quite a bit. We start texting pretty much every day, and I'm thinking, you know, quarantine is great for this. Uh, it's like we're both suspended in a bowl of jello. By the time we finally meet in person, we'll be, we'll be completely past the get-to-know-you stage. So we have another video chat a few days later. The video chat goes well. It goes so well that we talk about maybe going, getting together and going for a walk later in the week. Because again, she lives like a mile away, and she's super sporty, and she's constantly out riding her bike and jogging and stuff like that. And eventually the day comes, we're supposed to go for a walk. We're finally going to meet in person. So I reach out through text that morning. I ask if she's still up for it, and she says yes. But, turns out if we do go for a walk, it's going to have to be between some awkward set of hours in the afternoon, as opposed to the more evening-ish thing that we had talked about, and the reason is because she had made some plans with a friend at the same time, I, I forget what the details were, but it's fine, and I just sort of back down from it. I tell her we can do it some other time, you know, neither of us is really slammed for work at the moment, we don't live very far from each other, it's fine, we'll do a rain check. But after that conversation, there's suddenly a new turn to my way of thinking about this. And I'm telling myself, yes, this person is super cool. And I think I like this person a lot. And I'm starting to think that this might be grounds for a, like a legit adult style relationship. But at the same time, look, I'm initiating every conversation and the conversation is great, but I do have this vibe of something being off. And now we're canceling a get together. I'm just telling myself, let me not try to keep this thing afloat single-handedly. If she wants to talk to me again, I'm gonna let her make that move. I was telling myself basically that I would not be the one to initiate conversation again. Now, was there a degree of passive aggressiveness here? 
maybe there was, but I swear that it wasn't an angry resolution. And then at 9 p.m., unexpectedly, I get a text, and it's from Mary. She's driving back from her friend's house, and she wants to know if she can call me. So she calls me, and I go outside to take the call because I tend to need about 100 yards of pacing room whenever someone, whenever I'm on the phone with somebody. We go on to talk for three hours, the conversation once again traversing a crazy scope of topics, lots of laughter. It's her first, and this is her first time ever reaching out to me. And so it's, it's cool fucking beans, except suddenly I'm getting that vibe again of something being off in our conversation, but I still can't place it. But whatever. Next day, I wake up at 9 a.m., and the moment I roll over and set my hand on my phone, it buzzes with a text from Mary. It's a photo of this new plant that her friend got her. It's got big leaves with white spots all over it, and so she says she's going to start calling it her spotted vag. And slowly, we're beginning to talk about more intimate things than usual. Sex and dating things. And she mentions that she's been in some pretty serious relationships over the past decade, that she's actually lived with a few of her significant others, but she's generally kind of coy about it. At one point, she's telling me about the partner she most recently lived with, and I start to notice that she's using gender-neutral language. Her sentences seem to be very measured, and my immediate assumption is like, okay, I think she was dating and living with a woman, and maybe she thinks that I'll be uncomfortable with that, and so she's keeping it to herself. And it reminded me, I went on a date over Christmas break with this woman. She was, she was religious and also extremely progressive on a bunch of things, and she wanted to talk politics right away, and she was clearly very big-hearted and accepting. But at one point in the meal, we were, we, were, we were eating salads in Midtown or something, and she mentioned, kind of out of nowhere, that the most sexually violating experience she'd ever had was that she'd slept with a guy who later revealed that, prior to having ever met her, he had slept with a few men. And even while telling me the story, and at this point she's allegedly several years removed from that particular relationship, still, she kind of stares off and she stops blinking, and you, you can just tell that it really bothers her. Although I wonder maybe if that's like a gender thing. I mean, I didn't pry into her story um, too much because, <laughs> because as forthcoming as she was throughout this date, this was clearly like one of the spicier demons in her past, so I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't follow up with questions about that, but I have known men who just, like, don't respect the idea that their girlfriend is bisexual, and if their girlfriend, like, gets wasted and makes out with another woman at a party, the boyfriend, like, doesn't care. He says it's not cheating because it's not with a man. But in, in the admittedly fewer instances where I've known straight women dating bisexual men, I know I've seen some of them show kind of a conflicted attitude about it, like it's both a turn-on and a threat, but it's also just an aspect of this dude's identity, and, and so they're trying to be as cool with it as possible, but in trying to be as cool with it as possible, they maybe act too cool with it, and then they end up creating problems for themselves because they'll say to their boyfriend, they'll like, they'll point out a guy and they'll be like, oh, that guy's hot, right? Don't you think he's hot? And then if the guy agrees, thinking it's casual conversation, she's like, oh, I bet you're gonna leave me for him. <laughs> this is a ridiculous digression. I don't know, I don't remember how it started. Okay, anyways, I'm... My point is, I'm. this might be the reason why Mary has been kind of slow about coming to the topic of ex-partners and, and, and sex stuff like that. Because she, she's making comfortable jokes about like rim jobs and condoms and, and telling me stories about her wistful friend who picks up male sex workers on 8th Street. The point being that both of us were surprised there were male sex workers on 8th Street. So she's clearly comfortable with the topic of sex, but she does seem to kind of get antsy and dodgy whenever she becomes the subject of it. 
so we changed the subject. I'm guessing that eventually she'll get around to telling me whatever the issue is. It's fine. We're talking every day via text at this point. We're video chatting on a regular basis. The video chats are fucking marathons. It is cool fucking beans, this whole situation, but it's about to change. A couple weeks ago, I spoke on the podcast about how I was reading all of Thomas Harris's Hannibal Lecter novels during the month of March. Red Dragon, Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal, and Hannibal Rising. A couple days after finishing Hannibal Rising, I decided to buy Thomas Harris's most recent novel, Carrie Mora, which isn't part of the Hannibal Lecter series, but it's it's pretty similar. So I bought the book, but I didn't I didn't get around to reading it until a couple weeks ago, the first week of May. And I noticed at the end of the novel, in the acknowledgments, Thomas Harris gives special thanks to a bird rescue sanctuary type place in North Miami. So I'm thinking about the novel for a couple days after I'm done with it, figuring out my thoughts, when somebody that I, somebody that I used to date, she posts a video from the bird sanctuary where she works. In the video, she's tossing dead fish into the mouths of pelicans. And I was thinking, you know, I wonder if she, if she's familiar with the place that Thomas Harris was talking about in that book. So I send her a message and I say, hey, have you heard of X, Y, and Z bird sanctuary? And she says, dude, I, that's where I work. That's where I took this video. And I said, oh, okay. Uh, do you know Thomas Harris? And she says, not personally, no, but he's one of a surprising number of big shot donors. And then, because this person and I still kind of like each other, the conversation gets a little tiny bit flirtatious. So we're kind of quipping back and forth, bit of innuendo and whatever. And then the conversation wraps up and I go on with my day until suddenly... In the wake of that conversation, it hits me. I'm thinking about Mary and about the nature of, the, you know, the dynamic that we have on Zoom, and I realize the thing that's been off with all of our conversations, the seemingly innocuous thing that I told myself not to worry about, and it's this. We don't flirt. We talk a lot, and the conversation is certainly very intimate insofar as it's, it's very confessional and playful and earnest, but even though we met on a dating platform, and even though we refer to these Skype calls as dates, there's never any kind of romantic suggestiveness. There's no innuendo. Later that night, I'm in bed, I'm staring at the ceiling, and I'm being, I'm being very 19 about the whole situation. I'm like twisting and turning and thinking she likes me, she likes me not. I'm very alfalfa about the whole thing. But then I told myself, you know, I'm almost 30 years old. I know a lot of words. I should use them. I should talk to her tomorrow because we were going to talk tomorrow. I was like, let me just see if we're on the same page, whether I, we're both, we both have romantic intentions here. So it's Friday and we're supposed to go on a walk at around 6 p.m. But this tropical depression came in over the city. There was torrential rain, thunder. So we end up just doing an impromptu Zoom chat instead at about 6.30. And so it's basically dark outside and we're both sitting here again with our whiskey and we talk and we talk and everything is great and fun and then just before signing off because I had to go do something I said to her what I basically just said to you that I you know I was having this casual conversation with someone that I used to date it got a little flirty and it made me realize you and I don't flirt with each other and when I made the observation she kind of pinched her brow and she leaned back from her computer and she looked at the wall and then she looked back at the camera and she said I guess we don't really flirt do we and she thought about it for a second and she said what do you make of that? And I was like, well, I'm gonna guess that it means one of two things. Either we're both kind of nervous and hopeful about making this work, and so we're treading very lightly, or maybe one of us isn't really feeling the romantic side of it. And I told her, you know, I'm having a great time talking to you, I really like you, but I think that I, I would be saying flirtatious things if I was feeling that you had a kind of flirty openness on your end, and I don't think I'm getting that vibe. And she nods, and she mulls it over, and she says, well... You know how I was just moving into this apartment when we started talking back in the middle of March, when I was still buying furniture and plants and everything? And then she revealed that, well, she had just moved out of her boyfriend's place. 
and they had been together for three years or something, so that's why she was so coy and dodgy whenever we got on the topic of dating or about prior relationships, is because she had just gotten out of one, a very long and serious one. But so conversation is winding down, because I have to boogie, and... And she says, you know, I'm kind of on the fence about getting involved with somebody again so quickly, but I am enjoying this, so I'm definitely open to the thought. And I was like, okay, well, you know, those beans are temperate, but it's fine. So we say our goodbyes, I go off and I do my thing for the rest of the night. The next morning I wake up and there's a text waiting for me, and it's from Mary. And she says that she spent a good chunk of the night considering what I had told her. And she says that when she hopped onto this dating app back in March, she wasn't really expecting anything to happen. And she says that our conversations came as something of a surprise. The camaraderie of them, the connection. Maybe she was just trying to make me feel better, I don't know. But, she says, if I'm honest with myself, I'm not really up for a relationship right now, and I don't want to give you the wrong impression. And so, it pretty much ended there. We had some friendly back and forth for the next couple of hours, but we haven't spoken since. What stands out to me now about that encounter is that over the course of two months in social isolation, I forged this fairly close and promising bond with somebody, but we never met. There aren't really any concrete memories of our time together because we were never actually together. And I don't mean romantically together, I mean existentially. We were never in the same room. And it's almost like I'm coming out of that encounter feeling the same way that I do at the end of a really engaging or suspenseful movie or TV show where they tell you in the last scene that everything was a dream. Paul Oster wrote a memoir called Winter's Journal, where he talks about getting up every morning and going about his routine in the bathroom. And he says that every day when he's shaving, he looks at this scar on the bottom of his chin. Best as he can remember, that scar has always been there, and he doesn't remember how he got it. He figures he got it from some nasty fall when he was two or three years old, but there's no telling for sure. Both of his parents are dead at this point. There's no sibling to consult, no neighbors who might have seen it happen, no cousins, nobody. And so what he muses on is the fact that every day he sees the evidence of some momentous thing, something that left a mark on his face, but it has been completely expunged from history. The only evidence that it ever happened comes about when he looks at himself in the mirror. It's a moment each morning to pause and reflect on what might or might not have happened. And the only reason I'm doing pretty much an entire episode about this is because it started out as a kind of quick romantic update that I was going to tack on to the beginning of the previous episode, that uh, as like an intro to my conversation with Steve Donahue. But as I started jotting down what had happened, I started, you know, connecting dots with what happened here, with what happened with Laura, the photographer, and Jenny, who, you know, felt violated by her ex-boyfriend's sex life. And so it creates this conundrum where, you know, there's this habitual misunderstanding. And it would seem that the remedy to this misunderstanding that I'm having on all these dates is to just be upfront with people from the outset and tell them at the end of the first date, either in person or via text, hey, I had a nice time and I would love to go on another date if you're interested. And maybe even clearer than that, like say, hey, you're really attractive and I would like to maybe pursue something like a relationship with you, except, as you can probably notice, I don't even have to finish that sentence before you you can probably see the problem there, which is that it sounds heavy as fuck to say that to somebody you just met. And yet it seems perpetually like my romantic life is kind of forked between people with whom I can have a casual sexual relationship, but there isn't much chemistry beyond chit-chat, or... I, I, you know, I meet someone who's terrific and who I'd love to date, but it, it ends up being totally platonic. And like, we slap each other on the backs when we hug. And yet, I think I'm kind of done with the casual sex thing. After a long relationship a couple years ago, uh, the first person I slept with 
was an old high school friend, somebody with whom I've been close for several years, and she actually spent a couple nights in my dorm with me back when I was in college. And so that was fine. That was exactly what I needed to have, you know, a friendly face from the past come up. We commiserate about our romantic woes and then whatever. But a few weeks after that night with an old friend, I slept with this person that I had known casually for a while. We went for drinks, then she came back to my apartment, and while we were having sex, I remember that, like, it was fine and fun that we were both having a good time, but there was this point in the middle where I kind of paused, and I looked at her, and I was like, God, I wish I liked you. I didn't say that, but I thought that with such booming clarity that I think she might have heard it. And maybe that was partly to do with just feeling vulnerable after the breakup, but ever since that happened, I've been kind of picky about inviting people back to my apartment or going home with them, back to theirs, but... Part of this reminds me of, like, the impotent frustration with which I would go on Monster.com back when I was, like, 12 or 13, because I so desperately wanted a job so that I could buy books and movies and shit. But, of course, I was underage. It was illegal for me to work anywhere. And I didn't have, even if I did find a job, I didn't have transportation to get there. I would talk about this frustration with my dad, and he would be like, look, it's cool that you want to get a job, that you want to earn your keep, but you just have to wait. And he would try to impress upon me the fact that what you want from a job is a place that you like to visit, a place where you can grow and where you feel useful. And he said the first couple jobs you get when you're young, they're going to be miserable and they're not going to pay you enough money to really do anything. So just appreciate that you're at a point in your life where you're growing and you're on your way toward being a valuable member of the workforce, but you're just not there yet. But try to enjoy where you are right now because you're going to miss it. That's a rough paraphrasing, obviously, but I think that's kind of where I am now when it comes to dating. I might look at my friends who live with their significant other, my friends who are married and have their shit together, and I might be thinking, wow, that looks really cozy and cool, I think I'd like to do that. But the fact of the matter is that I'm still figuring out my work situation, the podcast, the writing, all that jazz. And so I might feel now, at 29, that I'm ready for a relationship, but in the same way that I felt at the age of 12, like I was ready to join the workforce, it might be best for my own development if I just accept the fact that right now might not be the best time. And there goes another episode. My roommate's dog is in my bedroom as I'm recording this, and it's about to rain, so he's hyperventilating. So in the event that his panting shows up on the recording, it's not that he's dehydrated or being neglected, it's just that this is how he reacts to the weather. I think it's now been two or three weeks since Mary and I had the conversation in which this episode kind of culminates, where she says that it's a little too she, that she's enjoyed our conversations, but it's a little too soon for her to be pursuing anything romantic in the wake of her last relationship. We've actually had a couple of lengthy conversations via text um, this past week. She and it's and it's her texting me, just saying hello um, at around nine o'clock. And again, on both occasions, we were talking for like three hours, um, a little a little more or a little less. And it's very pleasant conversation, as were the conversations on Zoom, and it's it's a good time. And I'm resoundingly of the mind that I'm, I'm glad that this whole thing happened. Something I wanted to mention, though, um, I say toward the end of the monologue that there's a similarity between three dating situations. And I mentioned how the situation with Mary is similar to a situation with someone named Laura and with another person named Jenny. They come up briefly at the end, but they appear either in a very vague or non-existent way in the course of the episode. The reason for this is because uh, the original script for this episode kind of encompassed the past two years, and it was highlighting three different instances where I went on... So 
several dates, I guess, with, with Mary. It wasn't formal dates, but just it was three different women that I saw on several occasions, but because communication was kind of wonky in different ways with all three of them. And so in all three of those instances, it turned out kind of belatedly that we were both on the wrong page. And those three narratives didn't line up as well as I thought that they would. And also, really, just the situation with Mary over the past couple of months is the most recent thing that's happened. And it was the only it was the one that I wanted to get off my chest. It was the story I wanted to sort of unpack with you. So I let the others fall away. But that reference at the end, it was kind of hard to edit it out. There isn't much going on. Lately, all I've been doing is reading and working on the book and um, working on the podcast. So, yeah, the reason this is so bare bones is because, as I mentioned at some point in the course of the episode, this was meant to just be the introduction to another episode, but that episode turned out to be like two hours and this would have made it unconscionably long. So in the way of updates, there isn't very much to report.